Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Of course, BTOsports.com, all new website, mobile phone friendly. Use the code PulpMX on checkout. Save yourself money at BTOsports.com. And of course, proud sponsors of the BTO Sports KTM team with Shorty and Gurky out there every week. And uh, of course, Fox Racing, uh, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear. They are continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. Check out the full line of 2014 products and 2015 products. Uh, the award-winning Instinct Boot V4 Helmet, Airspace Goggle, 360 Racewear, official gear of uh, Ken Rocks and Ryan Dungey, who are doing pretty well in Fox gear, foxhead.com, Fox Dealer, and, of course, ptosports.com. Anything you need for your bike or body, they've got it. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I'm Steve Mathis, of course, as usual. And uh, joining me for this uh podcast really that's just a uh, just a bench race podcast that, that's all it is a lot of topics to cover uh he's racer x senior contributor also working at monster energy these days one of the best storytellers out there and a real fan of the sport i think this is the third or fourth podcast we've done eric johnson ej what's up man how are you hey steve how are you i, I was impressed you got that whole uh, intro down in one take <laughs> you must have practiced huh I've done a few of these before i've done a few podcasts here uh thanks for doing this appreciate it no, no, it's, uh, I really appreciate you even thinking of me, so thank you. Can you believe last week or two weeks ago, I got Wardy and RJ on the line at the same time, and it took like literally like two, only two days of trying to make it work. Like I, I just thought I'd be in for like a month and a half of these dudes uh, going at it, and uh, it worked out. They actually were, had the time for it. Yeah, no, I listened to that. It was really good, and you know, I think it's just a bit of a testament to your show that you know, you're putting out a, a good good podcast here and guys want to be on it and legends like that people want to hear them and you do a great job of talking to them so that doesn't surprise me at all crazy that those two guys i mean i like i said in the uh in the podcast you were either an rj fan or a wardy fan you couldn't be both and uh it's crazy in that podcast how both guys were like they they said they never really got into it off the track or on the track like every like you know they had some epic battles everything was pretty above board um, and, you know, not like today, not like what we see today with rivals. They said, and they both, I mean, I don't know, it could be just years later, EJ, that they say this kind of stuff, but they both were like seemingly like had the ultimate respect for each other, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, almost yeah, overboard. Think, yeah, you see that with a lot of racers, um, you know, in talking to 
Carmichael recently, or even talking to somebody like Grant Langston. Uh, you know, he uh, he was at World War Three with Mike Brown while those two were racing together, mm-hmm. and you know, now they when they see each other, they they light up. You know, just yeah. because uh, there is that respect. And I know Johnny O'Mara is like that with Wardy and a bunch of guys he raced with. So yeah. that seems to be pretty common. It's um, cool though. It's interesting. Yeah, it's cool yeah, though. Very you cool. know, like um, very cool. Years later, these guys can be like that. I mean, who knows, EJ? Maybe one day Stewie and Reed on the same podcast maybe yeah yeah i don't know i don't know what those guys say to one another to be honest with you so well, i yeah interesting well, well they wouldn't do it now so i'm saying maybe later years later maybe they'll do it if they yeah maybe um but uh yeah it's interesting to 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 hear those guys talk when you were just a fan before you got into it were you an rj guy or a warty guy um, I liked them both. That's probably not the answer that you want to hear. Um, but Rick, you know, I remember being at Mount Morris in 82 and that was Rick's breakout year. And I remember him racing and, uh, racing with Donnie Hanson that day. And I think he was only 17 years old. And mm-hmm. I remember walking around with those pants that had two hips stitched to the back. And yeah. I mean, to me as a kid back in Ohio, he just kind of oozed that California thing, which, you know, I was just in awe over. And, uh, <laughs> So I really, really dug that about Rick and, you know, watch Rick take off on a fantastic career. Uh, I, I definitely probably a little bit more of a Jeff Ward fan just yep. because uh, I think it was more with Jeff. Just he really caught my attention when I was a, a younger guy and mm-hmm. the mini cycles were all the rage and knowing who Jeff was and watching Jeff move up and. You know, back then you got thrown into the deep end when you came off these into the yeah. 125 class and, and Jeff. You know, it took him a few years to sort it out, but he did. And, and then just watching what he did once, you know, he did win that first national championship on the 125 in, uh, in 1984. And, and, and what mm-hmm. Jeff, I guess something that I really, really admire and respect about Jeff is just all the winning motocross and nation teams he rode on. Yeah. And he rode on seven of them and never lost. Never and, lost. I know, right? Like never, like just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jeff's one of those guys, you know, that I, I've been fortunate enough to read or meet, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, I had win ads and pictures of Jeff all over my bedroom wall, like Johnny O'Mara and Jeff Ward. And, you know, to getting to know Jeff and, and know of him, he's just, uh, it's awesome when you get to meet your heroes and they're, they're good guys. I mean, they're just downright, he's a downright great guy. I yeah. really like him. And, uh, that's just awesome. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. I mean, and then also too, like you and Johnny O are bros. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? it's, it's you know he he was my guy. Right, you know, I remember right. uh, just literally remember like tearing pictures of him out of the MXA and you know in the library in in junior high school or high school and. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I met him through, you know, Stefan Everts and uh, Davey Coombs and uh, just got to be friends with them and better friends and better friends. And, you know, now our, our kids, our kids like go to school and play with one another. And, right, you know, right. he's, he's just a, just a great, you know, just a I great feel, guy, uh, man. Sometimes I feel like I'm bad because I even told you, oh, show this. I'm like, dude, I hate to bug you because like, I call him every now and then for something for Pulp MX or something for Racer X, or I'll do a podcast with him about, you know, he just went to Majoria, so we, we talked about that. And uh, I just, I'm like, dude, I, I hate the bug. And he's like, dude, it's no problem. It's cool. He's like, I love talking about this stuff. No one ever asked me about this stuff. It's fine. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. I don't want to bug you, Johnny O. I know you're busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I know what you mean, but I, I think, like, most of these guys, um, all these guys, they, they like to be remembered. They like to talk about that stuff. And, 
you know, guys like you and me might hold them in such high esteem that we get intimidated a little bit sometimes, but yeah, they, they like it. You know, they like, you know, our sport's not that big, you know, and our history's not that long. So, um, it's great. We all love it for the same reasons. We're mm-hmm. all involved in it because we love it. And, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that these guys right. like to talk about it or, or want to be remembered. Yeah. They're just modest. You know? Who's, who's a guy. And I, and I, I just, this came to mind the other day because on, on vital MX, there's a link to a story about Eddie Warren, the Michigan yeah, mafia yeah. guy who just disappeared. And I read it and it was a really good story. I'm not sure who wrote it, but good job on that. And he really got into you know, 80s in Australia, and he just he went from two years of being a factory guy, and then just left. to see you later. So there's there's a guy like that. I'm like I'd, I'd like to talk to that guy. I'd like to know more about him. And, and I read this article, and it helped me a little bit. But I'd still like to talk to him. And I attempted to do a podcast with him. He wouldn't answer messages back or anything like that. But is there a guy like that for you? Is there still? I know you've talked. We've done this before, oh, yeah. where, you, where you did, you know, you did the the, the story on uh, Moise in, in in Russia and and all that. But is there somebody that hasn't? Been able, you haven't been able to reach? You haven't done the story on? Yeah, yeah. You know, one guy that jumps out at me for sure, um, and I know I'll meet him, and I'm surprised I haven't, but Jeff Leesk. You remember him, yeah. the Australian racer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he came to America, like, right about the same time or, or very uh, very soon thereafter of, uh, of yeah. Bale, and he was really good. He was really good, and then he made that that interesting decision to to put America's side and then take off and go race the 500 GPs with uh, mm-hmm. Thorpe and with Gobert's and won some big races. And uh, and then he just decided to pack it up and go back to Australia, you know. And I've yeah. never met him, but I've always thought what he did was really cool, really unique. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was a fan. And no, uh, yeah, that's. There's a ton of them I'd like to talk to, but he he just jumps out at me uh, uh, for sure. Yeah, little known fact: Leesk would have run number three in '89, uh, or yep. number three overall. Instead, he just went to Europe. So I mean, he was no slouch over here. No, not at all. Yeah. And I think he came really, really close to winning some big races here in America too. But mm-hmm. just uh, you know, the stars just didn't line up for him. But definitely, uh, you know, I've I've met guys, you know, the Australian racers that are here that know him and tell yeah. me about him. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I think uh, that that day will come, and I'll be, you know, ready, willing, and able to to lay that story down. So. I did a I did a podcast with him a few years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, three, four years ago, I did one. Uh, got a hold of him, just emailed him, and uh, couldn't have been a nicer guy and very little ego on him, that's for sure. Like, I was trying to drag it out of him, like, all the stuff that he did, you know? So Yeah, I'll, that's kind of what I've heard about him. I heard yeah. he's just, you know, well, you know, let's be honest. We both know almost all these guys are pretty grounded. Yeah. All, you know, yeah. I haven't really met that many guys that – you know, bum you out or, yeah, yeah. you know, get all high and mighty. I, I, you know, that's what's great about our sport, too, is most of the guys that we come across, you know, especially when their careers are kind of done, they're all they're all A-plus guys. You know, uh, one guy who won't do one of these, but I am in touch with, but he will not do a podcast with me, is Larry uh-huh. Ward. I text him every now and then. Uh, uh-huh. We text. We go back and forth. He sends me funny photos. I send him photos. Um, and I'm like, do you want to do a podcast? He's just like, no, no. He's like, nobody cares. And I'm like, Larry, trust me, people care. And he's just like, no, nah, I don't, I just, it doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Well, what was interesting, even in, um, um, sorry, see, my phone's going off here. Um, even towards like the later stages in Larry's career, he was always a little bit more quiet. Like he mm-hmm. didn't want to talk about stuff as much. And, you know, come to think of it, I remember, uh, I think I was at the last big race, uh, Larry won, which was at Redbud, and he was the first guy to win on the, the 250F. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
Gosh, he was Moto Triple X, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Absolutely. Yeah, I was at that race. I remember, I remember Cudby and I went back there to see him. I, was, I actually did a story with him there that day. Mm-hmm. And I remember Simon and I went back there to see him. And he was back there with, uh, who was it? I think, it, I forget who it was, but he was wrestling. They were all wrestling back in the pits. And I was just like, hey, Larry, you won that race. And he's like, yeah, yeah. But he seemed like he was more into wrestling at the time. It was just, it was just funny, man. Right. He had to be there. But yeah, but well, Larry, yeah, I don't know. He's definitely a, kind of a modest guy. Maybe he's just, I don't yeah, know. Maybe that's just how he sees it, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's talk about Moto Triple X a little bit. You uh, you helped me out uh, with some quotes. Just finished a uh, seven part, twenty two thousand word history of Moto Triple X. I uh, spent about a year, well, six or seven months gathering quotes and, and making the story. And we ran part one in the magazine and the rest of the parts online on Racer X Online. And like I said, you helped me with some quotes. But let's go back to and it was a real cool story, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And um, the beginning of Moto Triple X, uh, uh, they were, and then people don't understand it because they maybe weren't around then, and it's kind of commonplace now. Certainly, Kenny Watson of the H and H team kind of brought back that vibe when the team, when Hart's team first started. But when Triple X hit the pits in '97, they were causing a scene. They they were something unique. Oh yeah, yeah. I was there those first two rounds at the Coliseum. I can see it in my mind's eye as clear as day. <laughs> Um, and even before then, if if I have it right, you'll have to correct me if, if I have my timing off. But even before, when Deegan and um, when Deegan, yeah, it, was, it would have been '97, so it was a little bit later. But when they came out at Washougal, and I was standing there, and yes. they had their helmets and boots <laughs> done up in uh, Swink had Swink had silver uh, glitter all over them, and mm-hmm. Deegan had gold. Uh, glitter all over them. I remember just standing there. I was pretty new to the sport then, you know, pretty new to the community. And when those guys came walking to the starting gate, you could just see everybody just slack-jawed. And, uh, (laughs) again, you had to be there, but, like, you look at how conservative the motocross industry or community is, especially back then, Mm -hmm. for these guys to come out doing that. That was about as far out as it got. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say everybody liked it. You know, I think there were a lot of people muttering under their breaths and um, and whatnot, but uh, I laughed at it. I thought it was pretty damn funny. Um, I was surprised somebody did it. Uh, but, yeah, going back to the Coliseum, I can see it as clear as day, Steve. I can see, uh, see that Moto Triple X box van backed up against that, you know, that front side of the Coliseum there, that old decayed Coliseum. And uh, I can see, I can see the people all congregated around the back, the music blaring, and I can see like stickers flying out of the back of it. And uh, I guess I can say it now, but you know, I knew Roy Jansen then pretty well, and Roy, I think Roy got the uh, assignment to go in there and uh, <laughs> kind of try and calm that situation down. And I don't think he was too happy about it. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I was a mechanic then for Birdwell, Ty Birdwell, and we and we pit it next because Ty and Kenny were friends, so. Therefore, we pitted by them a lot, and yeah, there was plenty of arguments with the Clear Channel guys back then, or whatever they were, and Roy Jansen. The guys would be throwing out CDs, throwing out stickers. There'd be a ton of people around there, fans sitting on their bikes, riders, you know, throwing things out. I mean, it, it after the races, it and even before the races, it was a scene. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it, and it went on, you know, that whole year, and obviously the genesis of the team that came thereafter. But yeah, what really sticks out in my mind were those two uh, were those two Coliseum races. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know Kenny was there and Brian and all that and and then when Brian won that race you know I was on the infield watching that one and I remember him coming around and literally he was so close to me where I was standing on the field of the Coliseum I could reach out and touch his shoulder and I just remember thinking like holy holy crap this guy's gonna this guy's gonna win this thing you know and and that was pretty pretty you know sometimes you'd see an anomaly back then like a, a a lower you know, a lower in this points tab- table kind of guy wins something, but mm-hmm. uh, that one really stuck out, and it stuck. A lot of people still, you know, still talk about that. Still, we're talking about it right now. Yeah, uh, it was go- cool. The and, ghost riding of the bike, and and yeah, it was just you know one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Leave it to Brian Deegan and Kenny. I remember. Ken- As a matter of fact, I'll tell you another story. I don't want to drag this down too no, much. No, go but, ahead. Uh, I remember that I wanted a- Cycle News called me. I was uh, still pretty new to the sport then, and mm-hmm. still kind of like figuring out what I was going to do with writing and all that. And Cycle News called me. Actually, Davey Coons called me and said, "Hey, Cycle News asked if you'd do an editorial for them at- on the back page." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to those Moto Triple X guys. I heard they just got fined for what Brian Deegan did." Mm-hmm. And uh, Cycle News to- guys told me to run with it, and that was pretty funny trying to track Brian Deegan down because uh, he was just so young and <laughs> right. so new. And he was, and I found him. He was sleeping on a couch uh, at Sandra Peters' house, and uh, you know, talking to him and to Kenny, and and you know, just what the AMA tried to do to like, I don't know, restore some sort of sort of order. And it was it was funny. I still have that issue somewhere. It was, I don't know. I like that memory. That was that was cool that that night. I don't keep a lot of stuff that I write anymore, you know. I've done so much stuff over the years. But I'll tell you what, I wrote for the back page of Cycle News. Um, I don't know, maybe three, four, five times they put me in the magazine, uh, in the newspaper, in the back page. And I have every issue because I grew oh, up yeah. reading the back page. Even if it was road race, I would read Henry Ray, you know. So Henry Ray. Yeah, yeah. Cycle News is great. I mean, they, they gave me access to their uh, to their archives. And I was up at the World Superbike um uh, race at Laguna Seca mm-hmm. last Sunday and ran into Paul Carruthers, the longtime editor. And I'm like, Paul, man, I don't know if you guys did me a favor or what, let me in those archives. Cause I can burn a whole day in there. I mean, uh, no. I, I, seriously, seriously yeah, can burn yeah. a day. It's, it's awesome. I went, back and looked, is great. I went back and looked through my name uh, in some uh, qualifying races for the Nationals and some GFIs and stuff, and I found it. I'm just all excited. It took me like four hours, five hours to find my name in there, even using hey, the you, search function. you were there. Even That's using cool. the search function, it was pretty hard to do. But, yeah, um, no. Hey. Um, did, when you went through those archives, were you like me and like – you didn't realize, like I was doing some research for Pulp MX stories. Uh, I got some access to some Buckley photos, and I was doing that kind of stuff. You don't realize, like, you see the results uh, growing up of the of the Binghamton National that a guy goes, you know, one six or whatever. Then you go back and you read the cycle news, and it's like the guy was in first, running away with it, and his rear brakes went out, and he got sixth or whatever. Like you're like, I don't even know that. Like this guy was so close to winning a race or whatever. Like, there's a bunch of things when you read the details of the race, you're like, oh, crap, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Well, if you're history dorks like you and I are, yeah, yeah you're going to go back there and look at that stuff. And there's been more than – I mean, there's just been crazy stuff I've gone back and looked at. Like, the uh, one thing I went looking for was the race uh, – uh, Evil Knievel put on for a five thousand dollar purse the <laughs> yeah, day before yeah. a Snake River Canyon jump. I have it right here. I'm like reading this story. I'm like, right. God, that really happened, you know. And then there's <laughs> Evil on the cover of the issue. I'm like, 
Uh, that brings back the memories. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Mike Healy, when he showed up at Steel City, you know, when he was uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, like that that race, like they kind of talked about a little bit how he gave a little interview about how he got there and how he showed up and how fast he was, how good he was, you know. Oh yeah, well, so, yeah. I, I last time I talked to Mike, I think it's been maybe a year or two now, but that mm-hmm. was a big part of what we talked about. Right, that was right. awesome when he did that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy that you can burn so much time going through there. But uh, absolutely. Um, hey, uh, coming up in the new in the new Racer X, I don't. Maybe we shouldn't even talk about this. We'll probably get in trouble. But Davey doesn't listen to these. Um, <laughs> you did you did, you did a feature on uh, the ones that got away. Ricky Carmichael only lost what twenty six nationals in his career. Yeah. Was it twenty six? Yeah. I don't know what it was, but he's got he went a hundred and whatever. 130 and 26 over his career. It was something stupid. Uh, and you went back and you went with RC and you went through the archives and you dug up the ones that got away, the ones he lost. And and, uh, and he went on and he talked about why he lost, what happened. You recapped it. That was a real cool story, man. Did you have fun putting it together? Yeah, yeah, I really did. You know, the, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've, I've definitely found out that the stories I really enjoy doing um, are, are kind of rooted more in research mm-hmm. and uh when Davey asked me to to go to work on that piece i mean i knew exactly what i was going to do um again you know here we go back to the cycle news archives again but yeah. uh basically what i did is i took an entire sunday um i think i woke up whatever you know five six o'clock i got up early and i just started pecking away at it and i was like oh man this is going to be a task you yeah, know to yeah. dig these things out but like anything, once you get a little movement going, um, once I was in two or three, uh, you know, of the losses that he did lose, mm-hmm. um, of the 25, then it was like, okay, I'm already, you know, I'm reading them halfway through while I'm looking for the next one. And it was like, wow. And, uh, and you know, it took all day. It took about 12 hours to pull everything and print it out. But in, it, as a matter of fact, I have it all right here in front of me. There's probably over 100 pages of mm-hmm. just photo stats that I pulled and printed uh, and then, you know, I went through, highlighted everything, find out, you know, why, why he won a moto and lost that moto and, you know, ended up second or third mm-hmm. or 15th. And in many of them, even at the 25, he lost, he almost won most of those. So it, <laughs> right, just, right. it just emphasizes the guy's greatness. And, uh, you know, I, nobody's ever going to touch those numbers because, you know, a little bit more time's gone by now since RC's retired. And to just look at like 150 whatever nationals, and he lost 25 of them. Like, yeah. I, I printed out the AMA media guide, and like I started going, there'd be pages where he didn't lose a race, you know, <laughs> leasing through, looking for the losses. It was just. Yeah. Yeah, it was just crazy. And and then when I did call Ricky, and um, he he definitely was into the story. And I called him up on a you know week weekday night and got him on the phone. He was back in Florida and relaxed. And we basically just went through each race. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, his memories were were razor sharp. I, you know, I would think after three hundred, four hundred motos, you'd forget something, but he no, did. I think I think and, him. Uh, he was pretty driven and pretty intense. So those, oh, yeah. the losses stick with you more than the wins. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's how I think. You know, he comes he comes uh, comes off when he when he goes through it, and he's brutally honest with himself. Uh, I think you may have read part of it mm-hmm. uh, or read it. Yeah. but he's really really honest with himself, and um, 
you know, he definitely makes some fun of himself and self-effacing at times. But then he also, you know, the dudes that beat him, he also is really, you know, gives them all due respect. It's a, it's really cool piece. You know, yeah. I'm not saying because I did it. It's just cool <laughs> that Ricky, Ricky, that's his, you know, yeah. it just shows how great he was. You so. Was there one race that amazed you the most or stuck out above all of them that he lost? Like, did he, like, I, I know there's a bunch, I think for me, the ones, I mean, especially too, I was a mechanic when he rose in the 125 class, and then basically when he went to 250s, I became a mechanic in the 250 class for different rise, riders. So I saw a lot of his motos from the mechanics area, right, real close. Right. And the ones were sort of, the early ones, okay, he was figuring it out, he was racing against Dowd at Southwick, he was racing against in the mud, you know, which anything can happen in the mud. The ones where it was just a beautiful day on a gnarly rough track where Tortelli straight up beat him. And there was only a couple, oh, only yeah. a couple of them. Those ones were amazing to me. Those are the ones that are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian, he, two guys he seemed to talk about quite a bit in that piece were, uh, as you mentioned, Sebastian and uh, also Kevin Windham. And you know, throughout the throughout the article, Ricky talks about on any given day those guys were faster than him. He had no problem admitting it. Yeah. But, you know, Ricky would always figure it out, and yeah, he was able yeah. to, just the way he was wired to, uh, yeah. you know, I've never met a guy like that or a racer of, in, in my travels, so to speak, that is just so, like, demonically driven to win. I mean, I, I even asked him somewhere in that piece, I'm like, hey, when you, you know, when you lost a race and you flew home or whatever on Sunday night, um, I mean, was it miserable? Because I'm going to take a wild guess here and mm-hmm. say that you were miserable all week and he's like yeah of course what do you think of yeah, course yeah. i was miserable right, and i'm just right. like man what a way to lead your life you know <laughs> but only one guy can win and yeah i'm sure it wasn't easy on him sometimes and you know i think we've, we've seen that with villapoto a little bit it's it takes a lot a lot of suffering to win yeah no exactly and, and let's let's transition into that a little bit um sure. uh, i agree the, the the grind these guys go through and I think Stanton was a little bit like that too. He retired when he was twenty six. You know, um, it's it people. It's a lot of money. There's a lot of success and fame and perks that come with it. It is also nobody there on Wednesday afternoon cheering you on. And I think Ricky got to that point where he's like, "Why am I doing this? I've won everything. I've got every record, and I've got all the money I need and my kids' kids need in the bank. And uh, so you know, why bother keep going on?" And I think Villapoto's. On that on that edge right now, you know, I think he's wondering what what more do I need to do because he's not a guy who's chasing records. I mean, you tell him, hey, you just passed McGrath. He's like, yeah, yeah, big deal. I passed Ricky, big deal. Whatever, whoever he's passed, he's not not focused on that. But uh, what do you think about RV and his is sort of hanging in the balance? We hear GPS, we hear retirement. He's got one yeah. more left on his deal. What do you think? Well, one moment that really sticks out to me was uh, last October at the at the Monster Cup. I was kind of standing off to the side of the Kawasaki rig, and uh, Ryan's dad was there, and um, I seemed to have a pretty good, like, just you know, casual um, relationship with with um, his mm-hmm. dad. And yep. I asked him. We were kind of watching Ryan get ready, and I said, "Wow, do you know? Did you ever think your your boy would get this far?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "You know," and he. He thought about it for a little while, and he, you know, the way he said it, and when he said it, how he said it, um, he's just like, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable that he's the best in the world. And he was, he was seemingly just in awe while he was saying this to me. But then 
he also said, he's like, but you know, I don't think anybody has any idea what it takes. I don't think anybody realizes <laughs> just how hard it is. You know, there's no such thing as going out and getting a cheeseburger or whatever. It's just, and you could just see, like, you could just see, like, I don't mean it in a bad way, but it had taken its toll. It's taken its toll maybe on his family and, and certainly Ryan. Um, so I, you know, I just wanted to give you that kind of anecdote, but you know, seeing what I've seen this year, particular with the Supercross season, uh, yeah, he uh, he said to me more than a few times when we were working on stories and or what have you, or if I talked to him for whatever I was working on, he he'd be like, yeah, this is a lot of work, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. is a job. I just remember him saying that a few times. It is a job, and you know, he seemed like he wanted to say that. Um, so yeah, I think he's worn down. I think uh, he's won for a long time. I think it's taken everything he's had to do it, and I mean that in all due respect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe you know, maybe maybe his time has come. It, it's, it's from what I'm hearing and what I'm close to, and what people are saying. Um, I, I think he, I think he might be done. I don't yeah. wish that he's done. Yeah. But I think yeah. he, I think he might be done, and uh, he, he got a. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Steve. Well, he got you know he got some flack. Um, uh, Jeremy McGrath, uh, a mutual friend of ours and one of the greatest supercross, the greatest supercross who's ever lived, kind of came out and said, "I don't know why Ryan's saying he doesn't have fun and you know he needs to be more appreciative of this." And because Ryan did give him an interview that was a little dour, a little you know, a little uh, you know not so pumped on everything, and, and MC kind of didn't take him to task, but. I'd say lightly criticized them a little bit, and and my and and Jeremy certainly sets the bar for you know uh, a class and professionalism when he raced and everything else. But I would say to the, to Jeremy that you never worked like Ryan Villapoto worked, you know, uh, uh, or or Ricky Carmichael for that matter. That was a different yeah. era, different era. Yeah, well, that's an interesting scenario you bring up because I actually did that interview with Jeremy. Um, it was the same day as the New York Supercross, or New Jersey Supercross. Yep. And matter of fact, it came on while we, Jeremy and I were talking, and I had the tape recorder running. And that's when I asked the question, you know, I think they showed Ryan doing a speech or something like that or, you know, getting ready for his race. And Jeremy said it a little bit more matter-of-factly, but, yeah, he said, like, you know, I've heard him say it about other guys, too, but he said – Hey, you know, you're winning a lot of money, you're winning a lot of races, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be taken care of for the rest of your life, uh, you're supposed to be having fun doing this, you know, and, and that's how Jeremy saw it, you know, and, and if you really, if you know Jeremy, that, that's how he is, he, he, he's from the school that, okay, if you're going to go out and win, well, have fun doing it, and let the people know you have fun doing it. Yeah. And yeah. I know he firmly believes that. I don't think he was like getting that down on Ryan. I think he thinks the world of Ryan, and I think uh, Jeremy really admires what he's done, and, and he knows how hard he works. But you know, I think that's just Jeremy's personality saying, "Hey, have some fun with it." Right. Um, right. And then to go back, uh, you know, to to how hard Jeremy worked or during that era. Um, you know, I was around those guys. Uh, they worked hard. You know, I think Jeremy mentioned that to me when we were talking, too. He said, hey, you know, people say, oh, you didn't work uh, as hard in your day or your time. And, and Jeremy was like, no, man, I rode a lot. I yeah. rode and rode and rode. And he seemed uh, he seemed like he wanted to let that be known, that he wasn't screwing around. Well, I don't think um, it's – I don't think it's screw- – I don't think that at all. But I think I think that Carmichael came in and raised it to a bar and – 
Villapoto's matched it and worked as hard, and Dungey, of course, works as hard. You know, like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know we're disrespect to Jeremy. Certainly, he's, he's a friend oh, of mine, and, and you know, I see what you're saying. Yeah, just, no, it was a paradigm shift for sure. Yeah, like yeah. when when uh, Ricky finally beat Jeremy at that. Uh, you know, at that Anaheim, Anaheim yeah. round and then went on to Phoenix and just went on a run and didn't lose. Well, you know, it was pretty easy to see that there was a, you know, a new school or a new way of doing things. And, and Ricky had that mastered. He had a plan. He adhered to his plan with his mm-hmm. people around him. And I think he'll even admit that he came from the plan that, uh, okay, if, you know, I have, if I'm a nine out of 10 for natural talent, well, that extra, you know, that, that number one that I'm missing, I'm just going to make it up with pure hard work. And yeah. That's yeah. what he did. And he did. And that, yeah, yeah. That calculus worked to make him the monster that he was. Right. Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what Villapoto decides to do. There's no doubt about it. Also too, yep. you know, I mean, if you're Villapoto, maybe you're looking at Kenny Roxon, your training buddy, you know, he's following your program, you know, he's younger, maybe a little hungrier. And you're like, I don't want to get beat. You know, I don't want, I may get beat and I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, yeah. that's definitely a, a variable you have to consider. Okay. Uh, I don't know what Ryan's thinking about that, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess he could answer that. Does mm-hmm. he want to, uh, you know, does he want to pack it up and be a family guy and, you know, yeah. go fishing and hunting, which I know he likes to do, or, or is it because he doesn't want to get beat? Yeah. Um, I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say it's not because he, uh, is afraid of getting beat. I, I don't think it's that. Right. Right. Um, I think he just just think uh, he wants to maybe enjoy life on the other side. When you, where were you? What were you doing? What did you think when Bradshaw announced he was quitting in the middle of a multi-year deal? Uh, biggest contract in the sport, you know, definitely a rising star. What did you think? Well, that was pretty crazy for me because I was still, I was, I was younger, obviously younger then. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I was just a fan. You know, I didn't know anybody in the sport. I had never even really been inside the pit area at a motocross race. Right. I've been to countless races, but I'd never been. Uh, I didn't have any friends in the industry. I was just a fan that paid for my ticket and sat in the stands or hung off the fence and watched those guys. And it was a little hard for me to understand because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I... Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the the rumor mongering, or I didn't know right. of, uh, you know, I didn't know what the ins and outs of the deal were, the relationships, or this or that. I was just a fan, and back then we didn't have internet and email, and yeah. you know, I read it. Yeah. I read in the Cycle News, you know, maybe a month after it probably came out, because we didn't get Cycle News in Canada, yeah. in Canada, yeah. like on after at, at at every week. But it was a big bomb for sure, you know. Oh yeah, well I mean. To me, it just saw, and I was there that day when he lost that title to Stanton in the Coliseum. That's Mm -hmm. still, that's still, that may be the most memorable, if not top five memorable events I've ever been to. I mean, that was just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, you did a story on that too, didn't you? What, a little while ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was. That was interesting. Yeah, you know, it, just real quick, you know, one thing that was interesting, I, you know, you, you heard the good, the bad, and the ugly about Damon, mm-hmm. um, but when I finally caught up to him and got to know him and, and did some, some things with him, I could he's just a really good guy. I mean, he's yeah. just a, a good, good dude, you know, so I don't, you know, you heard the freak, well, we know back then there were only one or two media outlets, so, yeah, yeah. you know. But no, yeah, I agree. I've done a lot. I've done a lot of stuff with him. And talk about a guy who doesn't sort of hang on to his accomplishments or really care all that much. 
You know, yeah. it's Damon. He's just like, whatever, like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have a great memory for a lot of stuff. He doesn't hang <laughs> on to things what's happened, you know? He's like, ah, yeah, I drive monster trucks now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Which, I by the way, if I, had, if I had told a young Eric Johnson um, that I would bet him a million dollars at Bradshaw in 30 years, Will be twenty years. Will be driving monster trucks. What would you have taken me on that for that bet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Right, I don't know. Right. Uh, I don't. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a leap. You know, that's you know, a, that's yeah. a leap. Um, but he has fun with it. You know, I, I see him at those things, and he he really enjoys it, and he mm-hmm. does a good job with it. And I know you know Feld who puts those events on, like they're really happy to have him. So mm-hmm. seems like a seems like a match made in heaven. No doubt about it. Hey, you've been listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break here on BTOsports.com. Use the code PulpMX to save yourself money. And, of course, Foxhead.com. Listen to this commercial. There's a Racetech uh, suspension commercial right now, and I guarantee you that some of you listening to this need some suspension work. So use the code PulpMX14 at Racetech to save yourself money. And we'll be right back with Eric Johnson. BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lee, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension, and they've been around a long time, and their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people. At least uh, change your oil in your new bike. Use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech's the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thee, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Race tech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back here on the RacerX, BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast show presented by Fox Racing. We got senior RacerX senior contributor uh, Eric Johnson, as well as, let's get into this next deal, EJ, uh, Monster. What's your gig yep. there and how's, how's it going? Well, it's going good. You know, it's uh, I'm into my fifth year now, um, with the exception of working with uh, Davey on Racer X. Uh, this is the longest uh, I've stayed in one place in my entire career. And uh, my title here is Communications Director, which basically means, like, the communications end of the business, whether it's publicity or marketing or sports marketing or even some editorial content. Mm-hmm. I, uh, kind of the written word or the more conceptual kind of stuff. And, uh, it's a little hard to describe. To be honest, I don't really have a job title. Um, <laughs> I show up and do what they ask me, uh, to do. And yeah, I, I, I dig it. I really like all the stuff we're involved with. And, uh, I mean, I really, really like it. I should say it's kind of a, kind of a dream job, you know, and is moto, I love moto and moto will always be number one, but mm-hmm. it's cool to, go to Laguna Seca and work on World Superbike or go to NASCAR and, and work with the Bush brothers or 
you know, whatever, MotoGP, yeah. I've been going to a lot of those races, or X Games, or whatever, yeah. you know, surfing, and it's, yeah, it's it's like a toy box, you know? Right. Then did, did I read this right? And I could be totally wrong, because I, I don't follow it that closely. You guys, Monster, are getting big time into NASCAR next year? Well, that's, that I can answer to. Uh, no. Oh, okay. it's It's funny, you know, it's funny, like, okay, we're motocross guys and we hear all the rumors and we hear stuff that gets pulled out of thin air. And, you know, in that community, everything's driven by commercialism and, and sponsorship. And, you know, some of those rumors that came out relatively recently were like, you know, I'd go talk to my guys here. I work with them and be like, hey, we, we're not doing that, are we? And they're like, no, no, we don't know where in the hell that came from. And so, yeah, I, if I had to guess, you know, of what I know, uh, we'll probably be doing pretty close to the same thing okay. of what we've done this year. But, yeah, there, as far as I know, and, you know, we're a pretty small crew over here, so I know that uh, there are no huge yeah, I, plans about, uh, you know, uh, $30 million uh, uh, Sprint Cup program. Okay, yeah, that's what it was then. I thought it was not something I read but that was actually official, that, yeah, you guys are going to be a title sponsor, run your own. Yeah, okay, all right. So. No, and to be honest, I think it's just cool to be in Nationwide and go out and win 12 races in a year. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I like the Nationwide races better because, uh, they're you know, they only race for two hours, and they're out there, you know, they're out there fighting. I, I love those races. Right. Uh, something you just said about X Games. Let me ask you yeah. about that. Let me pick your brain on that. I sure. feel like... The Global X Games didn't work. They're, they're not doing that anymore. And they moved it to Austin this year, a different time of year. This year, uh, more than ever, I just felt like the X Games were just, and maybe because there's no moto in it, I don't know, but just felt like this year, more than ever, the X Games was irrelevant, as much as, as irrelevant as it could be, or, or, or less relevant than it ever has been before. Oh yeah. Now, are you talking moto or are you talking everything? I think everything, but obviously moto. There's no. I mean, the freestyle got canceled, so it was you know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I went back there. Uh, Monsters a, a big sponsor involved there, and um, I went back and uh, for the whole week. And uh, mm-hmm. Davey, uh, while I was there, Davey asked me to just kind of do a state of the nation on on freestyle if I could. So in doing that, you know, I just walked around the city um, of Austin and took everything in. And uh, as far as the city of Austin, they just loved it. I mean, yep. the crowds were massive in the city. You know, I've, I don't know if you've ever been to Austin, I Texas, have, yeah. but that place yeah. is something else. Yep. And uh, the people just loved it. They came out in droves. The, the Circuit of the Americas venue was just phenomenal. Um, you know, on, on that on that level, they were really, really good, really, really successful. But from a sporting level, competition level, uh, you know, uh, I think here's you know look at it this way. Davey called me this morning. He's uh, out here in Los Angeles. He gave me a quick call. He said, "Hey, pick up the new issue of New Yorker magazine. Read the X Games story in there." So I did, and yeah. uh, I don't know what the writer's name is, but uh, the way they wrote that up, I was like, "Whoa, that's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Oh, okay. Pretty well told." Yeah. Uh, you know, ESPN. They uh, they created uh, and the gentleman who gosh he's just such a great guy that it kind of came up with the X Games concept is named Ron Simeo okay. um, and he's no longer with the network um, I believe he's with the NFL Network now but 
such a great guy, such a champion of the games, uh, just so into, you know, what they came up with there. And, you know, I had been at every one since 1999 when, when Travis jumped into the San Francisco Bay. And mm-hmm. I've seen, and I, you know what, Steve, I was a judge at every single one of them, right, uh, right. including the winter ones that they did. And uh, I'm not quite sure why, but my phone didn't ring this year, and they didn't want me to be a judge, so I never really got an answer on that. But uh, not a big deal. It just right. allowed me to go do my job and do something cool for Racer X. And yeah, I think the sporting part of it was like a little lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the skateboarding was really, really cool. Like uh, Nigel Houston winning how he did, I thought that was really cool. Um, the BMX stuff was was good. Some of the other skateboarding stuff wasn't so good. Um, it just depended on the athletes that were involved and how deep the talent went. Right, and right. Uh, you know, I got to say the rally cross thing. You know, we do some rally cross stuff here, and I went and followed Liam Doran around, who was one of our drivers, and that that was a pretty big disappointment to me. The way that that the event way, ran, and, right? Yeah, it seems um, like like you know, it seems like. Um, in the moto end of things, like there's all this importance on in the industry about the X Games and and doing well on it and getting the TV time, but on the organizational side, the track side, all that kind of stuff, it's just run, just hokey, last second. We gotta, you know, no no prep, no anything. It's like they don't care about the results, but the competitors and the teams care a ton about results. You know, it just seemed to, I don't know, it just seems like it's yeah, just... Yeah, I would say, you know, Eric Pernard, um, you know, he uh, yeah. he came uh, up with the U.S. Open, hugely involved in Paris Supercross, uh, Enduro Cross, a great promoter. Right. Um, I think that he worked in tandem with um, ESPN this year, and they really, really created a nice circuit for those guys to compete upon. Um, I think that uh, everybody's heart was in the right place, and then those wins came up. Um, But, uh, you know, if you want me to be honest, I'm just going to be honest about it. Uh, I was was bummed those guys didn't ride. Um, Now, look, I gotta, I gotta say, hey, I don't want anybody to go out there and get hurt. Uh, Of course, of course, that's you know how I feel, but. Come on, man! You went out and you guys did some demos, and like the crowd was watching you. You know, figure something out. The fact that they went all that way and didn't ride uh, or right. didn't do anything, you right. know, I don't know. Just adjust. Like, don't do a couple jumps or limit your runs. But it just looked. I don't know. It just looked bad, dude. It right, just. Right. I, I don't know. There's probably some freestyle guys that'll want to kill me after hearing me say this, but to me. And knowing what I know about sports and entertainment and how important it is, look, X Games is kind of boiled down to the only big freestyle event of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, Red Bull does a great job with their events. They do a great job. But, you know, those are, those are kind of more far-flung in Europe and other parts around the world. But as far as the USA is concerned, that, that X Games thing was huge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. I, I just I, when I you know heard that they were canceling it and everybody just walked away over to the skateboarding. I'm like, okay, all right, <laughs> right man. Right, right. See you guys later. Yeah, don't be surprised so, if you're out totally. If you're, if, well, if, if, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, there's you, talk of that. Yeah, I mean, you you make that kind of decision on live TV, and and I don't want to say you burn ESPN, but in a way, you burn ESPN. 
they may think twice about being dealing with you. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I can't say. Yeah, I mean, you're going to hear on the other side. You're going to be like, oh, they should have known about the wind, and you know, and they should have. And mm-hmm. I think they tried to know about it, but still, like I said, I'm from the school that you know of of racing or competitive sports like this are entertainment and you go out there and there were 30,000 people there Steve yeah, and yeah. you don't you just say hey we're not riding I don't know man you right. just don't do that right, uh, right. that's I'm not I'm not moving off that opinion either yeah I, I don't know I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens do you think there'll come a day when and certainly Eric is a friend of mine Eric Pernard a friend of mine and he has his heart in the right place and he's trying to do the best thing for everybody that he can do do you think moto X, uh, which is a cross, you know, basically a super cross. Do you think it ever comes back? No. No? No. Why did they get rid of it? Do you, why do you think they got rid of it? Uh, I think it was a struggle for them. I think it was a struggle for the networks to, you know, get the riders there, get the teams there. And when, when you know, the community or industry did show up there, uh, you know, it goes back to what you said a couple minutes ago. You know, the way the event was orchestrated and run and mm. whatnot was not very good. You know, the track wasn't really, right. it was, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It just... Yeah. It didn't work. It just was incongruent to what the Supercross series was starting to do and really, really kind of picking everything up. And, yeah, I, it, it won't happen again. Hey, so uh, we're three years into the Monster Energy Cup. Three years? I think so. Yeah, three years. Three years. Yeah. How, how has that event been? I mean, obviously, I mean, you're speaking from a Monster perspective and just Eric Johnson, uh, a fan uh, perspective. How has this thing been since we've stopped with the U.S. Open and done this Monster Energy Cup? Well, you know, I try to be objective and honest and, and try to go around and hear what everybody has to say and listen to, you know, try not to get my opinion swayed one way or the other or be biased. But I don't know. Everybody tells me around the world that they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody seems the industry seems to love it. The team seem to love it. Uh, you know, everybody likes that kind of, you know, schools out and the term feeling of, of, you know, the Monster Cup that the season's over after that. And, uh, you know, for the company and us, we're really proud of it. Um, I, it seems to really, really be well liked around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not just not just the U.S., but all around the world, people ask about it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's really a lot of fun to like the lead up to that event and you know the things we do to uh, to promote it and to uh, make it appealing to everybody and make everybody want to be there and. You know, Monsters rooted in motocross. It really is. You know, we're here in Corona, California with the the rest of the industry, and that's the foundation that that we're built upon. And, you know, what better way to, to, you know, put an event on on something we love and we feel like we're really close to. Right, right. Do you feel like they should, uh, and I've been on to Prater about this, Dave Prater at Feld. Um, Some of the things that the Monster Cup, they need to start putting in the Supercross series. The Supercross series has grown stale. It really has. We've we've got, we got the four strokes involved, which uh, I know that's a whole other uh, argument and another two-hour podcast, but bottom line, the 454 strokes have made the racing a little boring. Uh, the guys come around the turn, they, they, they jump four, they land, they jump four, they, they make a right, they blitz through the whoops like, nowhere, like no ever before, there's no mistakes made, et cetera, et cetera. We have the same 25 points for a win, 22 second, 20 for third, we have no whole shot points, no heat race points. They brought the semis back. That's some, that's a good change for me, but it's also something that was not original and, and not been done, uh, or been done for you know a decade before. Um, we still have a two fifty 
uh, F split series, you know, class, a regional class. Well, then we have a race that has three 10 lappers and a joker lane and different aspects of it. Uh, no LCQ, that kind of stuff. Let's do that. Let's do some of that in Supercross. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can agree with you on that. Oh, um, come on, EJ. <laughs> I, I like it. You know, Formula One runs the same way every year. Uh, MotoGP, NASCAR, Tour de France, it runs the same way every year. I, I like it. I, I, like, I like the way it is right now. Um, you know, sometimes the tracks start looking a little bit similar, and if you turn your head the right way, you can be anywhere. But <laughs> right. uh, I think the sport's gotten to a whole other level this year. I think that... Um, you know, the teams and the industry and all of us that work in it, you know, we we can see that. We can feel that. And uh, I think that's awesome. It's becoming a real, real legitimate motorsport. Like, I at the World Superbike Race this weekend and talking to people, I mean, MotoGP and, you know, those people, they look at Supercross and they're like, man, they, that's a really serious deal they got going there. And I think Feld's doing everything they can to make that thing an international, global, you know, sporting property and, mm-hmm. and good for them. They're the ones that invested all the time and effort into it. Um, I don't see a lot of bad. So um, I just want to see. I just want to see some some format changes. You know, I mean, we we do twenty lap main events, whether it's a minute track or forty two second track or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, come on, let's let's. What about a whole shot? Five points for the whole shot. What about five points for a heat race win? You know? Yeah, I mean, you could never go wrong looking at that stuff for sure. For sure. Like, yeah, a heat race win or a whole shot. Uh, yeah, for sure. What about, I think what about having like a, a chase style? What about having the last, only the last 10 races count towards a title? What about that? Eh, I don't like that manufactured stuff, you know? Okay. Like uh, manufacturing, like uh, the way things should go down for an end result. Um, NASCAR's chase is a perfect example. I couldn't tell you how that thing runs to to, to right. save my soul, and, and, and I like it. You right, know, right. I like about, when they say, "Hey, he won a race, so he's virtually guaranteed a spot in the chase." I'm like, well, "What's that mean?" Yeah, yeah. Well, what about having three ten lappers at three races? Uh, you know, just yeah. Different. I mean, hey, who doesn't like watching the starts? Right, um, right. Yeah, I mean that kind of stuff's cool. I. You know, I'm not a fan of the Joker lap. I'll just tell you that right now. I don't like it. No, it's uh, fine. I don't want to see that in there. It's fine, um, EJ. You got to open up your mind, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to. I'd love to see like more sand, you know, or uh-huh. more different kind of elements put in the track. I, yeah. That I love. I love how the sand looks in Supercross right. race, and I also like when the bikes have some mud on them. I think Supercross bikes look good with some mud on them. Right. Right. Well, maybe that's just me. No. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, nationals. Uh, we, we came back to Glen Helen this year. I saw you there. We had a good talk. What did you yep. think of that national? What did you think of the opening round? That's great. It's great. Uh, you know, I love Supercross, and it's helped get us all where we're at now. But down deep, I'm an outdoor guy. Right. You know, that's what I grew up going to the nationals and going to Mount Morris, waiting for that thing every year to come around and drive our car down there. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I just loved the high speeds. I love being out. You know, the guys being out in the sun. I love the just that track is so outlandish. And if you talk to the riders, they'll tell you they all like it too. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. I, I was really happy to see. Glenn Helen back on the uh, back on the circuit, and uh, I loved it. I walked out of there with a smile on my face. You don't go to all the races anymore, EJ. After you know, forever going to all of them. Is there a national that you miss that you want to go to? You want to hit up? Um, that's a good question. You know, one national I always really, really liked. 
Uh, I have a soft spot for is Washougal. Mm-hmm. I just love, you know, that part of the country. I love the weather. I love, like, when it's a sunny day up there with those big thickets of pine trees and the dark brown dirt and just how the track flows. And that's the one that I have a, a soft spot for. That's my yeah. favorite national. And I'm trying to... I'm trying to juggle some stuff right now where I can get up there here in a couple of weeks just because oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, EJ, it's the Red Bull National Series now. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> hey, it, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, Steve, I'm a motocross guy. Yeah. I want everybody to know that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I'm very happy to have my job, and the people I work for are awesome. But, hey, I'm a motocross guy, and I happen to work for a company that loves motocross, so... Hey, what about, and speaking of motocross, uh, Thomas Covington, uh, yes, son sir. of Mitch Covington, who I don't know Mitch's title at Monster, but he's very, very important. Um, mm-hmm. He sort of made a, a I don't want to say weird, uh, an unorthodox decision to uh, go over to the GPs and, uh, and race over there. And he's had some success, some struggles, as to be expected. But certainly I got to admire the kids' uh, balls for doing that. That's kind of a neat deal. Good on him. Yeah, t- yeah, well, Thomas is a is a great kid and a real interesting kid. I think, uh, I, matter of fact, to him and his his dad and I, uh, we just went to lunch uh, today, Mitch and I, and we were talking about that. And Thomas is the you know a racer right now that whether he wanted to or didn't want to or decided to do it, he could go down to to UCLA and sign up and and be a college graduate, no mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. And and his dad was telling me how Thomas has been over in Europe and he's taken a real fancy to the history of the world wars over there because he's seen a lot of things that are showing, you know, from the wars that took place in Europe. And uh, it just kind of shows you that he's an intelligent kid and he has his own way of doing things. And, uh, uh, and, and obviously from the sporting side of it, they, Thomas wanted to go see how he did at the GPs. He went and did the first four or five, which was the original plan. They, they went pretty well, Uh, you know, going from, you know, he's an 18 year old kid going from, nation to nation in these just radically different events yeah. and track conditions around the world and he's and he's sticking with it you know he's really sticking with it and you know i was talking to mitch today at lunch like you know bob moore um when mm-hmm. he went over to to europe it took him a few years to to get going and get warmed up and thomas's situation reminds me a lot of what bob's was and thomas is going to tough it out and and you watch you watch next year uh, now that he knows, like how, you know what, Steve? He's he he lives outside of the track in uh, Lommel, yep. and he rides there almost every day. You know, think about being 18 and like having to, you know, make oh, sure you yeah. have enough money to get to the practice track and back. You know, I probably couldn't have pulled that off. No, and, uh, no. uh You know, going from country to country and just figuring out visas and passports and and let alone racing and dealing with the team and. I'm I'm proud of him. I think he's doing really good. And you watch, you give him another year, um, he's going to be the kind of kid that that sustains and can have a real good career over there. Um, is he a Supercross guy? I don't think he is. I don't think he thinks he is. But uh, so maybe that played into the decision as well. But I like Thomas a, a lot, and uh, I'm rooting for him. And I, I think he's going to come through. Yeah, I think a tip of the cap to him for making that decision. It's ballsy, man, and uh, yeah, and that's no, really it's cool. cool. Yeah. I hope it's he has cool. success. I've been following him a little bit, and I think it's uh, in this day and age, it's a real something to be admired to be doing that. I didn't even know he was eighteen; I thought he was older. So yeah, again, like great job, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think everybody should keep an eye on him and applaud him for for what he's doing, man. Um, I uh, I really think he's gonna he's gonna turn out okay. It's gonna take this year, but uh, you watch next year; he'll be in the he'll be in the mix.
Well, uh, EJ, I did the uh, we talked we talked about it earlier. I did the Moto Triple X story, twenty two thousand words, uh, twenty one people's talk to or something like that. So I'm going to pass the baton on to you. I want to read that story, but the Yamaha Troy one. Good luck. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, you know what? I I lived that one, Steve, because you know we basically started the magazine up, Racer X up. Uh, at the at the same time that, that you know yeah. that team began its its uh, ascent and again you know as it, there were great days and there were a lot of bad days and I got to know Phil real well and Phil was always really good about letting us in on everything and you know I saw some gnarly stuff there and um, and how it all played out wasn't wasn't pretty and uh, it's kind of sad actually it is sad yeah. um, but it is a story and. You know, yeah, knowing no. Phil and and people involved, they want they'd want that story to be told. It's an epic story. Yeah, um, I, you know what? I didn't even think about it. I'm glad you mentioned it. So I'm gonna, uh, Steve. I'm taking that story away from you. Okay? Yeah, I'm perfect. Doing that. Do it because uh, all the riders that have come through, all the wins. You know, eventually Yamaha support some championships and uh, some ups and downs. And yeah, man, there's there's, there's something there. You know. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, do you remember way back in the day with the magazine when I did the Team Tam story? No, no, I do. Um, yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, I do. Yeah, the Team oh, Tam. Yeah, yeah that, right, exactly. Like a, and actually, I was supposed to do one of these with Tom Carson, one of the original members of Team Tam, I believe. Yeah, he wasn't original, but he was oh, in okay. there. That's, oh. a, that's a crazy story. That one ended well up with a couple guns and a couple suitcases outside uh, Las, Las Vegas Airport, if I memory <laughs> serves correct. Did it, one, of the, one of the more underrated wins that doesn't get talked about in moto history Alan King's Hangtown win oh, on yeah, Team Tam. Yeah. I mean, straight privateer dude in a, in a, in, a, in an era where privateers never won. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, a, yeah. a, a you know a story where the where a guy's sort of a privateer or sort of not. That that's, that's yeah. he won. He 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 won the race. So yeah. Well, tell so being a part of that story was awesome because I remember like we found everybody except I think it was uh, Bob Tam and. Uh, <laughs> Leave it to Mitch Payton to tell me about where he saw him last and how we tracked him down. It was just classic, Did, man. did, did you classic. get it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's in there. you got to read that Oh, story. okay. I, I did read it, but it was so long ago I couldn't remember. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mitch had some funny things to say, that's for sure. <laughs> well, how was Mitch involved with it? How how? Uh, he was just a spectator okay, on the side, yeah, yeah, you know, right, and he, right. you know, he was building his business in, in race, uh, race, uh, empire at the same time. And, uh, he just, uh, I guess Bob used to hang around here in Corona at the, at the shopping mall. Uh, and, uh, Mitch would see him over at the mall all the times with a, with his, I don't know, having a good time. Yeah. So, yeah uh, right, it, right. it was just funny, funny. I might have to go and uh, re- go back and read that because I do want to hear the guns and the beef- beefcase story. Uh, yeah, I, I might have something a little off there, but I know I'm close. Right, right, right. Um, certainly, uh, uh, you don't want to give anything away, but what's your next story or what's your next thing you want to work on? Do you have I, I don't think uh, my uh, my main man, Davey, would mind. Uh, we uh, just finished something up with Grant Langston and oh, okay. uh, how things really got bad in his career, and, and he kind of fell into some – some darkness and um, how he worked to get out of that to where he is now and mm-hmm. what it means to be an announcer now and his you know the legacy he left behind. I think it's a cool one. I think it's a cool one. I think people will like it. Yeah, he's done a hell of a job in the Nationals this summer. I really, I really think he's he's done a great job. Yeah, and there's a couple others I got going too that Davey has me on, like a couple more broad scope stories mm-hmm. that uh, uh, I think will I, I think will really be neat. Um, one is very. Uh, 
apropos to um, uh, what's going on right now with uh, certain riders over in Europe, and uh, another one uh, dates back uh, 50 years. Oh, so, wow, okay. Well, yeah, having fun, man. It's a lot the, of fun. You're the perfect guy to do them. There's no doubt. Oh, uh, thanks, Steve. Hey, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Uh, good times. Good bench racing. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I, I really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't yak on too long. And, uh, um, you know, just uh, always great to talk with you and super stoked to see how great you're doing with everything. I remember, like, uh, when we'd talk, when you, like, uh, were still trying how to figure out how to buy a notebook to take yeah. notes, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly, totally. So Yeah, um, but uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see what you're doing with it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I think people dig this kind of stuff, you know. It's more and more multimedia world where we're – Yep. People are driving, bicycling, exercising, and, and the ears are what's what, what's going on, you know, with, with people. So they want to get information that way, and there's no better guy than you to, to, to sit back and bench race with. So, Well, thanks. It's a lot of fun. I'm just, uh, just real fortunate and happy to be a part of it all. It's just fun to be a part of it. Uh, cool, man. Well, the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing with the great Eric Johnson. Thanks, EJ. I'm sure we'll see you down the road a little bit. All right, Steve. Thanks for having me, brother. See ya. Bye. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory... We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents.
been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years go.